0: What's going on, everybody? Before we get going, I would like to introduce our new show called High Anxiety. And in this new show, we'll be taking a deeper dive into specific mental illnesses. We'll be sitting down with some of our peers and see what they are going through, how it affects their everyday life, how they cope, and they can potentially give you some advice that can help you as well. So some things that you may hear are going to be graphic at times, so listener discretion is, of course, advised. We also can't stress enough that you are not alone and that there's always help. Suicide and self-harm is never the answer, and if you ever have any of these thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number is 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Please reach out. And without further ado, let's get into it. This week, we have a very special guest who looks like she's about to cry already. (laughs) So uh, it is my mom. Hello. Uh, She's been dealing with uh, severe depression for a lot of her life, and um, this series wants to kind of tell people that it is okay, that if you're dealing with something, then there's always somebody out there, there's always avenues that you can take to seek help and everything like that. This is her story, so if you find any strength or comfort in it, then by all means, that is what we are here to do. So, um, without further ado, let's get into it. So, Mother.
1: Yes. How are we today? I am very good, thank you.
0: So, obviously I'm your child.
1: Yes, you are. And, and I
0: have seen multiple um, sides to you that some are scary at times, obviously. Sometimes they're a lot brighter. But can you kind of start us on the journey of how you became, like the the, the life events that led to depression and and things like that.
1: Okay. Um, My story isn't original. um, And uh, as original as it might be, I think you could take some solitude that sometimes you come from a bad place. Uh, To give you a history Uh, Both my mother and father died when I was 11. Um, Went to live with an abusive aunt who was her sister. Um, And I was not only physically and sexually abused, uh, it was done by a family member. I ultimately left home at 14 and a half, became homeless, and with a knapsack on my back and my school books, I lived in train stations, the Port Authority in New York, cars with no heat, um, and any other place you could possibly think of. I put myself through high finished high school, and at 16 was accepted to a vocational college of mortuary science. Um, What is that
2: for people who don't know? I uh, don't know, I'm not familiar
1: uh, uh, with it. A licensed funeral director. Mm. Uh, back in New York um, if you had a vocation uh, you can start college early but I was also an honor student and skipped two different grades so I was kind of you know um, able to do that Um, I didn't have uh, much in terms of any emotional or moral support uh, during that time I was basically on my own Um, I wasn't depressed back then. I was more driven to prove to people who said I was a nothing to become something. And it was all a mind game for me. And because things happen so fast, you really can't sit back and say, oh, I'm depressed. I'm I'm stressed. You don't think about it. You think about the movement forward and to make your best self possible.
0: I think when you're younger, I think that tends to be more of the issue it's when you get to an older age where you kind of start to relax and you kind of see the bigger problems that are that are there and you don't right you don't really think about it that much you just think oh it's just a a rough patch I'll get through it and blah blah blah
1: exactly I mean uh, from the time my my mother died uh, I was told I'd be nothing I was a fat pig um I'd never amount to anything. I was a loser. Every derogative thing you can tell a child uh, was told to me, along with blaming me for my mother's death because at 11, I aggravated her to death, basically. Um, My mother died of pancreatic cancer. As an adult, I know this. I didn't kill her. But from the time I was 11, I carried that in my heart every day. And that is the reason why um, I've accomplished the things I did, was for my mother to prove that I didn't kill her, Mm. Uh, that I wasn't the loser that everybody made me out to be. So after 16, uh, I graduated. uh, I got my associate's degree in occupational studies. And at 18, uh, I went on to NYU, and I got my bachelor's of science. Mortuary science.
2: NYU. NYU.
1: And I did it on my own with not one cent from anybody, just hard work, grit, sometimes working 78 hours on a shift, uh, and that's how I made it work. Um, Another thing to add was uh, it was more important to put myself through school than to ever think about doing a drug or an alcohol. Number one, I wouldn't be able to afford it because I hardly was able to afford food, but that wasn't an option. I never thought about ever doing those things, even in my darkest despair. Mm -hmm. After college, I got a great job. I, you know, I I finally made it. Um, Went back to my family who I hadn't seen in many years, and they laughed at me when I showed them my diplomas. They didn't care, mm-hmm. and so even though I liked the vocation that I took, it really wasn't my life stream, and uh, I did it to prove something. And in a sense, I'm glad I, I did that um, to prove I wasn't a loser. But ultimately, they didn't care. Nice. So, in turn, I took that as okay. I'm good with that. I did what I had to do, and I'm proud of what I did. And that's how I left it.
3: Did you have any uh, cousins? I I
1: had two sisters. Uh, One sister, who was a Supreme Court justice um, in New York, abandoned me when I was 11 Mm -hmm. because she was told by this abusive uh, aunt um, that she was in a bad influence on me. And so that relationship was severed forever. Um, She wanted to be in law, and she knew if she came close to me... Uh, My aunt would have her arrested and somewhat uh, destroy her career before it started. I had an older sister whom uh, I had a very tumultuous relationship uh, for many, many years. Um, I I was good uh, for her uh, when she didn't have a man in her life. But then when men came into her life, I was pushed aside. Um, That relationship is no longer... um, active. Uh, I, I shut it down probably about 12 years ago um, because I want honesty in my life and I want people to be honest with me and if you can't all ties are severed. Um, and, the, and my abuser who uh, was really uh, m- my aunt's son um, was never uh, held accountable and a court law because of the, the laws at that point for the statute of limitations. And as a footnote, I was emancipated at 16 by the state of New York. For the proof I gave my court and everybody who came to court for me, I was able to prove to the judge that I can live on my own, uh, pay my bills, and support myself without the help of, my, of the family that basically adopted me after my mother. And, uh, it was unheard of at that time to be 16 and emancipated, but I was emancipated and, uh, at that point, you know, they had no responsibility over me Mm -hmm. and I never had to look over my shoulder, uh, to see who was watching me, looking for me and stuff like that.
3: So it was almost a relief being.
1: (coughs) It was a relief. It was.
0: It was. So that was pretty much the start of everything. That Was, was the start. Was then and there, um... So as you grew up, right, as you got older, yes, you kind of experienced more things and everything. You had kids. After that, you met Daddy and everybody. Um, where did it go after that? Because, like, how was how was your marriage with my dad? Was there any depression there? Was was that even a a, a thing at that point, or did that come later down the line?
1: I got married um, when I was 23. Uh, I had my first baby at 25, and my second one at 26. Uh, you guys are 18 months apart, yep. almost to the day. Uh, I was very happy in my marriage, uh, but there was a big age difference—17 mm-hmm. years—and when you're and when you're 23 and the person's over 40, you have different things that you want to obtain and. and and goals that you want to reach that the other person already has, um, or just doesn't have the same interest.
0: You just and had different points in your life. Diff- at that point. Different
1: points in my life, and yeah. uh, he was a great—he was a great guy. He still is a great guy. We're best friends, uh, but but on on the marriage part, it didn't work.
0: It just it wasn't—it wasn't lined up.
1: It was—it just didn't line up. You no. were,
0: you were more younger, more. I guess you could say adventurous. Yes,
1: I wanted to grow up with my kids. I yeah. want. I wanted to jump out of airplanes. I wanted to scuba <laughs> dive. I wanted to travel. And,
0: and, and he, he was more a working guy at the time. He
1: was a working guy. To provide, he, and he was a he was sedate, yeah. and he he liked being in the house, which is all well and good. It's great.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But that just
0: it didn't fit your lifestyle.
1: Right. It's just not what I was, what I thought um it was going to be. Okay. Yeah.
0: So after that. How long did that marriage last for?
1: Uh, we we married in in eighty nine. Um, it it lasted five. It, it really lasted three years. And once you were born, we filed for divorce. So, okay. ultimately, from the time we got married to divorce was uh, a little less than five years.
0: Okay. So after that happened, then you got married again.
1: Yes, I I was single for several years. Okay. And I thought I met the man of my dreams I was older Um, we had so many things in common Uh, he had a child I had two Uh, we um, fell in love Uh, our kids got along and it was a really good relationship uh, an adult relationship for a long time
0: so when did the problems really start to arise because you had mentioned that you know, you were abused as a as a kid, mentally and physically. We didn't really, like, touch on that too much, but...
1: And sexually as well. And
0: sexually. Do you want to kind of... You don't have to go into great detail, but you were molested. I, w- I was raped. Yes.
1: I was raped by... Um, it started at 7, and it went until t- I was 12. Um, my mother was still alive at this time, but because my mother had three children and had to work. Um, I was often left with this aunt and uh, every other weekend when she did work and uh, he would molest me on Saturday nights when he came home from his friend's house and it would always happen uh, between one and two o'clock in the morning and and to this day, you know, and I, I, as a kid I would stand guard because I knew what was coming. Um, to this day I'm 55 and I still don't sleep.
0: It still it still haunts you to this day. It
1: haunts me. I uh, I'm lucky if I get two to three hours of sleep a day, because even though I know I'm I'm in a safe place now and he'll never hurt me, uh, those feelings from the time I was seven to twelve, and standing guard of, of of just waiting for it to happen, has really played with my mind to a point where. I have to stay awake.
0: Yeah,
1: um, I've seen psychiatrists, psychologists. I've taken medications, and it's a mind thing. It really is, it, and it's a ps uh, it, it's a, uh, PTSD a PTSD thing. thing yeah. It's well. it's
0: like the way I see it is like it's deeply rooted in you. Where Very no matter no matter what you do, it's just not. It's not going to go away with a pill. It's not going right. to go away with any kind of therapy. It's just it's. It, Almost it, becoming a part of you. It has
1: become part of me, and uh, you know, I I've I learned to accept it. I've I've had to accept it, and uh, uh, for a long time, I I knew what it was, but after talking to many professionals, that's exactly what I do. I stand guard, and and it's just from self preservation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Even though I'm not I'm um, not seven years old anymore.
3: Yeah. After. Um obviously, living with that for this long and seeing as many people as you have, what are some things that you've found that help you in work? When you're laying in bed at night struggling to sleep, what are some things that help you stay in a calm mind and kind of remind yourself that it's not going to happen again? Well,
1: at one point, I never slept in a bed. I had to sleep within an arm's reach of a doorknob Mm -hmm. to escape. I always needed an escape route. And I don't think I slept in a bed for 15, 16 years. Um, And as I got older, I finally uh, made myself sleep in a bed, you know, and uh, I'm okay with sleeping in a bed now and not being near a window to jump out or an escape plan. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to do that now. Um, But to tell people, Uh, When you're that afraid and something is so ingrained in you, uh, I'd like to be optimistic and say, it's going to go away. Uh, But especially for people who are raped, uh, you never get over it. Uh, You know, the Me Too movement, where it could have happened 100 years ago, and a word is said, you smell something, uh, a certain look comes up, you see a word, and it, automatically transports you right back to the place you were when you were 7 or 15 or 25 whenever the abuse happened. that's
3: yeah. uh, the PTSD.
1: Yes. And it's you relive it. It's not, uh, you know, uh, people who don't experience it wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you do experience it, it's as real as it was the day it was happening. which is a, Which is amazing to me because I can't remember what happened yesterday, but if I smell a, a certain smell, I, I'm a, I'm 7 years old again.
0: All right, so going back, you got you got remarried.
1: I got remarried, very happy. I was very happy. For a while. For a while.
0: Um there's one vivid memory that stands in my mind. There was one night where you were sitting on the floor leaning against the dishwasher. And all I heard was that mommy's having an asthma attack. Right. At that point, I didn't think much of it because I was younger. And I knew, like, later on that you don't have asthma. So take me through what that was and what that experience was like.
1: It was the beginning of panic attacks. And this started happening... Um, after three I was married for, for 12 years, this gentleman. Um, after three years, it started to go south. Um, when you're living in the moment and you come from an abusive background, you tend to want to stay in that abusive background. It's easier because you know, you, you, you know the realm of what you have to deal with. It's when you come out of your comfort, comfort zone and you go into someplace good that you're very unsure of yourself. But if, if you're domestically abused, your life, that's your comfort zone. And it's what you know. Excuse it's
3: me? It's what you know.
1: It's what you know, right, as opposed to not knowing and, and being happy. Mm-hmm. And um, it started with that. Um, he was domestically abusive, sometimes uh, to a point of uh, holding, holding a loaded gun, uh, ho- thankfully my kids weren't around most of the time uh, sometimes they were around when he would just pull the molding off the wall with his bare hands uh, make holes in aluminum doors, steel doors with his head um, as a scare tactic because he didn't want to strangle me um, and, and an abusive language as well
0: that, yeah. that was a given I, yeah. I heard screaming and everything like that, I've heard the, the the punching in the walls the slamming in the doors that that much I knew growing up i didn't at that point it wasn't until the very end when he threw his ring at your face right. that I knew that something was was wrong
1: well he 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 um several cops because he was a cop uh never made out reports uh, but there are there are two or three that are in the courts for good that are on his records for domestic um Abuse, one was made in a hospital that I was hospitalized for six weeks. Uh, one was made; he lost his gun permit because he had a, a loaded Glock.
3: Did he have a drinking problem too, nope. or just he never drank? Well, when we were married, unstable.
1: He was emotionally unstable. Um, if you would have talked and looked at him, he was perfectly normal. Mm. Uh, but he went from zero to 100 in a hundred in, in a second. Real quick. And. Um, you know, I was always at the, at, at, the, at the other end of it. And because I didn't want to be a two-time loser in terms of a marriage, I stayed. You know, and I tried to smooth things over. I really did. I'd make my kids apologize. You mm-hmm. know, just say you're sorry. Just let's, sm- let's smooth it over. Just let's keep the peace. Just keep the peace. And I have to say, that was the worst thing I could possibly do.
0: Because at that point, you're almost enabling his behavior right. at that point. Right, which I did. Yeah, and you and you put you didn't really push blame on us, but you made you made us seem like we needed to apologize for what we did, right? As opposed Wh- to him, which
1: towards the end, I'm um, like, there is no more apologizing. You don't need to apologize. Yeah. Um, and it was difficult. It was a, it was a very difficult relationship. It was on and off. He'd move in, he'd move out, and it turns out he had um, after six years of marriage. Uh, he told people his friends that he was divorced uh wasn't living with us and he'd taken up with another woman we weren't divorced we weren't separated we were nothing and uh he this whole hoax went on for the longest time for years for years and we actually found out he got married well he was still married not even separated from me uh, from a girl who lived an eighth of a mile away, and it just it was just happenstance that that we found this out and uh all the lies he told these people all these years, which I never knew, yeah, and he was a police officer you 'd think somebody would have morals but it didn't happen well
3: some people use it to their advantage, right, you, yeah. but also you know what was his family like
1: he came from um uh family of uh five other children
3: yeah
1: um i think his father drank a little bit uh his mother they were just they were just a wacky family um everybody all the kids turned out okay uh but he had severed relationships with the, with most of them mm-hmm. um uh, right before we got married uh Probably. not due to me just due to the fact that his
3: emotional unstable
1: right he was the kind of guy that uh When he was stressed, he would take his head and bash it against the headboard of the bed while he was sleeping. He did not even know he was doing it. So, as a kid, he did that in his closet. As an adult, he did that.
3: Just unknowingly?
1: Unknowingly,
0: yeah.
3: Seems like a lot of trauma from him as well.
0: Yes. So, when the marriage started going south, when you figured out that he was cheating, he was with another girl, what happened at the very end with... The bank accounts, the house, and everything like that.
1: Well, at the very end, you know, I, I made a flip remark. You know, just go and sell the house. But it was a flip remark. It, 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 was, it was just yeah. three out three days later, my house was sold. And not only was my house sold, um, the house was in my name mm. because I had the money at the time uh, to put down a down payment. He he, I added him. Uh, to all the paperwork, several years after we got married,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and a friend of his from the sheriff's department actually sold my home. We had to be out in six weeks. Um, at that time, my son Christopher was looking at colleges. We went to colleges on the day that they were closing, supposedly, and so I gave him authorization just to sign my name. He came back that day right before we left, and he says, "Oh, they you know they changed the closing date and." Uh, It was earlier. Here's the check. Why don't you sign it? Um, And then on Monday when you get back, we'll divvy up whatever monies. I was okay with it. I didn't realize it was a banker's check, which was cash. So I signed over probably close to $200,000 in cash. Which, when you open a bank account with somebody, two people have to be there, two people have to agree and sign the papers. Did not realize he could put this in, and the next day took everything out in cash.
0: So he took the cash. He sold your motorcycle. He st- he stole
1: and sold uh, and sold my motorcycle, which was ten thousand dollars out of my pocket.
0: So we're up to two hundred ten thousand dollars that this dude stole from you. Correct. He stole pretty much your dignity at that point because.
1: Well, he stole my life because he had he had abused me for so long. I had no friends left. I was so, I was so, how do you put it? Um, I was so far removed from no. an everyday normal life that really very few people stuck by me. My best friend, Shari, who was like a sister, uh, was the only one that stuck by me. And even then, a person who loved everybody said don't ever bring him in my house the first day she met him. And if she didn't hear from me within two weeks, cops would come to my house and do a well check and if anybody knows what a well check is uh they knock on your door at 12 two, 3 o'clock in the morning uh they ask you to come to the door show your license so they can match that person and make sure you are physically and mentally okay because we had filled out forms that if i was ever found dead it was him mm. and she would tell the cops In in no uncertain terms You're going to find her chopped up in some boxes somewhere One day Hmm. And this happened throughout our marriage Um,
0: So So going back to The panic attacks Mm -hmm. How often at that point Were they happening Well
1: to be honest with you My depression was a little bit different Um, My depression started after A viral illness I got It started out with migraines, high temperatures, went to seizures, um, then went to severe depressions. I didn't know at the time I was fighting a very rare autoimmune disease, which I just found out eight years ago and almost died from it. But my body had already started acclimating to it. Mm. And one of the uh, proponents of it was depression. So when I was treated for depression, they really were. They weren't treating the root cause of the disease. That was just a byproduct of it. So it really wasn't a depression where you could take a pill for, because if they would have if they would have helped me with the autoimmune, uh, I would have never went down the road of that type of depression. And if you and if you had every symptom except for one, they would rule out the disease, which they did. And uh, I turned out. It turned out my autoimmune disease. Um, was um, destroying my adrenal glands, which your adrenal glands uh, produce a hormone called cortisol. It's your fight or flight um, hormone. And little at a time, it, the stress and the depression, and everything, wore away at the fibers of my adrenal glands to a point where um, I almost died. Well, well I, was, I, I was clinically dead. Um, In the doctor's office. They couldn't get a blood pressure. And um, that's how they finally realized what I had. Um, But the depression part, uh, every doctor I went to, because I saw depression, everything else was negated. If I broke my leg, ah, no, it's just depression, don't worry about it. Or, uh, you know, oh, you're having back problems? How could that be? You're looking. You're looking for medication, you're looking for pills. No, I had a broken neck and I had a broken back, but you didn't want to listen because you saw depression on there. Yeah. And it go, and this all goes back to when my mother, who was sick for several months with severe stomach problems, they said, Dolores, you're depressed. You're depressed, there's nothing wrong with you. My mother was orange. She, uh, the, the pancreatic cancer had metastasized, throughout her body. yeah, And to just shut her up, they opened her up, take out her glob- gallbladder. But she was depressed. Turned out she had pancreatic cancer. She's lived two and a half months. So the word depression um, bothers me when they say, oh, you're depressed. There's nothing else wrong with you. Yeah. And when when I was clinically with no blood pressure, and they were holding me upside down in an ambulance, taking me to a trauma center to get blood into my heart, and into my brain. And I finally, after three months of being hospitalized, I felt vindicated. Like, yes, I, 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 I do have a proponent of depression in me, but I was vindicated in the fact that all these years, my body acclimated to this disease over a period of time there was something wrong with me. I wasn't a liar. I wasn't a drug seeker. I wasn't doing this for attention. I wasn't doing this because I was depressed and I wanted people to pay attention to me. That's what people think.
0: So, with that going on, you then, you got divorced from him. Yes. Where? What happened after that? So, where where did your life go when that happened? Once he sold the house. Mm-hmm. We then moved again. Yes. Um, we moved a couple times after that again. Mm-hmm. But when did your depression and when did the panic attacks and everything like that start to really ramp up?
1: Well, uh, there's, there's one piece we're missing. Uh, when we first started having problems in our marriage, I tried to commit suicide. Twice.
0: Was that that night? No. Or was that just a panic attack?
1: No, it was a panic attack.
0: Because um, I remember looking at you that night, and there was something not right.
1: No, there was, there was one time uh, I had all the pills lined up. You were at your father's. He was working, and I was done. And I had a lethal dose of stuff that could have killed me. And if it was not for my children calling me up and saying, Hi, Mommy, I love you, I love you, I would have tried it that night. I didn't. I tried it several weeks later. I took 105 very strong uh, prescription sleeping pills that would have put a stable of horses down. I called up the suicide hotline on Christmas Eve, and I said, please tell my kids I love them. And with that, I did not realize it goes right to your local precinct. I got in my car. And I drove to the fire station and, of course, they followed me. It was was like a high-speed chase. And I locked the doors and I figured, I'm going to die in my car. And they wound up busting the window out and pulling me out the window and saving my life. That was the first time. Uh, Second time, I tried to hang myself, which for a woman is brutal. Usually women go for pills the easy way out. I had a noose. And I was put in a state hospital. I mean, I was, I was for several... I, I've, I was put in a hospital several times for depression. Um, but this one was a state hospital. And it's a state hospital for, for people who have mental instability. It is one of the worst places you could be. You're doped up. Uh, they don't care. All they do is medicate you to shut you up. You know, they don't care, you know, how you feel and stuff like that. And I wanted to get that out to people. Uh, I'm not not proud of um, trying to commit suicide, but in in the frame of mind I was at, it was my only way out. And uh, for a long time, even when things got better, I always kept that in the back of my mind of, it's a way out. If I can't get through this, it's a way out. You know, yeah. so I always kept that that thought open in my mind, and you know, now I look back and I say, how could I have possibly have left my kids? They would have been the losers, you know, and then live with the stigma of killing myself. Um, I regret it. I deeply regret it. You know, it's been uh, it's been wow. thirty. It's been wow, thirty years. You know. Um, but I have to say, when I am really, really depressed, there is that little, that little voice that says, "There's a way out," and I have to keep it in check.
0: So, in total, how many times have you considered or taken action to commit suicide?
1: Committing, su- uh, uh, idolizing, uh, committing suicide was a was a daily thing yeah. for me. Uh, Trying to really commit suicide was three times.
0: Well there was those two. There and there's also one time when you lived in Lincoln Park right. where we didn't hear from you for a little while mm-hmm. and we found you on the couch and you were not there. Yeah. You were not really coherent. You said that you had taken a lot of pills. Right. And that was at the point where okay, now I know I'm a lot older now. I didn't know the first time I didn't, I didn't know the second time either But this, this last time that I saw I knew something was wrong And it scared me because it's like Well you, you're not allowed to do that to us You can't leave us like right. that um,
1: and, and to make it clear They were not uh, I don't take narcotics And I don't drink I'm not a drinker Yeah um, They were all prescription um, Antipsychotics And all these things that they put me through and it turns out when they took me off, yeah, I live with depression, but in a healthy way. I deal with my problems, I talk about them, um, but they will shove every pill down your throat when something doesn't work. Nowadays and, there, and there was one more other barbaric thing that happened, um, which I, 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 we didn't talk about, but uh, when I was at my worst, um, three years into my marriage. Um, the second marriage? The second marriage. okay. Um, they wanted to reset my brain, thinking once it's reset, the depression will eventually fade away. And I had a, um, I had a series of twelve shock therapies.
2: Never heard of that.
1: And if you ever, it's barbaric, to say the least, even in today's standards, where they actually take electricity to your brain and shock it, hoping it will reset. It doesn't work. They're still doing this today, and the end result of that was I lost many, many, many years of my life. I can remember things when I was 7 or 12.
2: So you didn't get superpowers? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but short-term memory is lost. There are years of my kids growing up that are lost, and it's because of the damage the electricity did to parts of my brain from memory.
0: Like, th- that's, that's what's so weird to me is because, like you'll You'll start saying stuff from when you were younger, and I'm like, "How does she remember this? But she doesn't remember what she had for breakfast.
1: Right, or I'll ask seven or eight questions, yeah. in a row because my body because because my brain can't comprehend it because, because that chunks. part of because that part of the body is, is 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 damaged beyond
0: repair. Now does that that damage does that also make you think things that didn't happen? No, because no. there are times where you'll say something or you'll ask me a question that you've never asked me, and you're like, "Oh, we talked about it like yesterday."
1: Right? No, that that won't. That doesn't happen. And no, it just removes the memory. If you decide to make a new memory ar- 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 around, um, yeah, ar- around a situation, that's different. Um, but no, my memory. I was a zo- I was a walking zombie. And have 12 of them done, um, people can't believe How it. How old were you? Uh, this started when I was 30.
3: The shock therapy?
1: Shock therapy when I was 30. No, 32. 32.
3: Now, um, just for uh, for my mo- knowledge alone, when you're in those those deep m- moments of despair where, uh, in your mind, you you consider that the only way out is, is suicide, um, what are, I mean what it what gets you to that point where you can't see anything more than the life that you have right now because i i mean i don't know you obviously as well as nick but i you know i know you from how i know you and you're a pretty get shit done keep moving forward kind of woman so i don't so when you're there it's very hard for me to believe that you actually got there what helps you pull out of that
1: now I know it's the knowledge of being able to talk to my children mm-hmm. about it, talking to my friends or, or Frank. Um, but sometimes you, you, you could live in that house for a little bit mm-hmm. and you could dwell in it, but you got to get out. So you could feel sorry, you could say, I want to do it, but however you got to get out of it, you get out of it. Because sometimes it's, it sounds a ter- like a terrible thing. It's a comforting place that I know that I could dwell in there for a little bit. And even though I have no intentions of doing it, I say, okay, I'm going to give myself a certain amount of time, and then I'm out. And you have to follow through. Mm-hmm. So every day, you follow through.
0: Is that why you kind of overload your plate at times? Yes. Is that, is that one way that you cope with it so you don't necessarily pay attention to it as much? Yes.
1: I have to. That's why uh, I am
0: constantly, constantly
1: cleaning, washing yeah. floors, planting my plants, running the roads in my car, doing things I don't necessarily have to do.
3: Folding w- wet clothes. For yeah. <laughs>
1: That's another story. But, yeah, I... I, I because... In, in, in times when I should be resting uh, because of my health problems, I can't. Mm. Because then I sit there and these thoughts creep in my head. And they're not always horrible thoughts, but they're thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, and they're not psychotic thoughts. They're just matter-of-fact thoughts, you know? And, uh,
3: now, do you think because of how independent you were your entire life, do you think that works against you in those times? Because you have you th- in your mind, it's easy to get into the fact that you're like, "Oh, I have to. I can do it on oh my yeah. own." Absolutely, instead of reaching out to somebody else.
1: Yeah, I mean, I talk to my kids now. I mean, they're
3: mm-hmm.
1: they're adults, um, but sometimes people don't want to hear your crap. Mm-hmm. People have their own crap to deal with yeah. on a daily basis. People are married. They got kids. They do. They got their jobs. Nobody wants to hear about your shit. You know, unless we're doing something like this, everybody's got their life.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm not going to call up my friend and say, oh, I feel like dying. Well, why do you feel like dying? You know, you you have a, a pretty house and, you know, you're smart and you, you're, you have all these things going for you. But people don't understand. Yeah, they don't. When you close your door at night and you put your blinds down, you sit in the bathtub and you cry your heart out.
3: How did you know? <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? <laughs>
1: and, and people who don't suffer from that type of depression don't understand it. And it's trauma, it's depression, it's feeling alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel alone all the time. I love my kids to death. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm alone.
3: Yeah.
1: And even though I can pick up the phone, I'm alone yeah and when you feel alone you feel all the losses and the tragedies of your life and that's what floods in that's i think what gets me it's like different parts of my life when my kids were born i got married i had no family and that gets put in the pot the fact that my kids don't have grandparents never had them Mm -hmm. to hear the stories of their parents and to have some type of history that bothers me. And to sa- not sound morose, but we're not the youngest parents, and I'm afraid when that goes in the pot, too, they're by themselves. It's only him and his brother.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, that I think worries me more and depresses me more than anything.
0: I think I remember very, very clearly the one time. We were in the car together, and I had asked you if depression was passed down, and you said yes. Yes. And that, to me, kind of opened my eyes a little bit, because I didn't... I don't know. I I feel like there's a little part of the depression that was passed down from you to me. Um, I feel like it's there, because everything you said, feeling alone, not really wanting to do much at times, is... The story of my life. Like I've had conversations with both Corey and Mike, saying that I have felt alone at times, and like they always reassure me because they're my friends and everything that you're not alone. It's not. I'm not physically alone. Right. Like I always have you guys around, but there's there is a little piece that's missing that feels just like there is an emptiness to it. Right. And it's it's super hard to explain because. It, it's hard to just put it into words. There are no words t- of how that feels and I and I understand that feeling and I think a lot of society doesn't understand that.
1: No, depression?
0: I think uh, they understand it. I think people are scared to be open about it.
1: Right. That too. It, you know, there's a stigma on depression. Oh yeah. Yeah, because you're a mental case. No. Depression is an imbalance of chemicals in your brain that's what it comes down to it's a science it's real it's not like you want a pity party there's a real problem with regulating the 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 the, 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 the uh, serotonin in your brain which is serotonin is your happy feeling yeah and when your serotonin's off you're going to be off
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's what it comes down to. So when people say, oh, he's psychotic, he's a schizophrenic, yeah, there are all those things, but it's not done on purpose. Mm. It's yeah. because your body is, you have no way of controlling that except if you take medication. And also, depression is has been shown to be genetically embedded in families. My grandmother had it. My aunt had it. My mother had it. I had it. Hmm. Um, I think in a sense of everybody I've ever known in my family, there has been a component of it. To what degree, I don't know. Um, but I see it in Nicky. Hmm. I, I see this one piece that's missing. I see the way, he, the way he writes, the way he acts sometimes, and he sometimes has this avoidance of just wanting to stay in the basement and not get out and that's that that's a very big indicator and i've been saying this since he's 17 years old to his father get him out of the basement get him into real life you Mm. know get him with friends make him do things because the more you stay in your little hole the worse it gets
3: i heard he was fire burning on the dance floor last night. Is that true?
0: Really? I was. Was that true? <laughs> so Mike was there too. I was pushing everybody to go
2: for that exact reason.
1: I am so glad. I, you know, I have to say one thing. His friends ha- have been so instrumental in keeping him somewhat sane. And well, that's false. And I'm blessed. <laughs> i will
3: never ble- be sane. I'm
1: blessed as a parent for him to have good friends. I,
2: yeah. I can, I can tell you that. that's a I am tribe. very
1: blessed. And I have to say one thing. On New Year's Eve, even though it was COVID.
2: We wore I masks, we wore masks. <laughs> 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 sure, do, do we? <laughs> I, I,
1: I, I spent part of the night here, and I looked over at Nikki and his friends, and they were playing board games. And I, this is meant in a very good way. And I saw this tribe of, of guys. Playing board games on New Year's Eve, and I said to myself, "How lucky can a a, a parent possibly be yeah. for his kid to have a tribe of friends that are so close on a New Year's Eve, just be good enough to spend the time together?" We're not
0: the coolest. <laughs> not the coolest. I mean, look, not for
2: but, no it fans, she, knew cool. it too,
0: but she freaking knew it. Agreed with it.
3: But
1: it's not, not the coolest, but. The best. I
3: want to be the coolest. To be honest. That they're not out <laughs>
1: drinking and drugging, and, and they're putting the time in to 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 nourish a friendship that will last forever. And I am.
0: S- I mean, ladies, we're single. We're That's all single here, so. <laughs> well.
1: And I'm a parent, so you know. <laughs> what was the well?
0: Well. <laughs> oh, <What>? touche. <laughs> <Well, laughs> uh, the water well
2: in the backyard. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I meant.
3: Well. <laughs> what so
2: I can, I can say before you want to move on is that. You said that when you pass away, you're afraid that all Nick's going to have is his brother.
1: Right. And just in terms of family. Family.
2: Number, well, right. I see Nick as family. And Absolutely. I can fucking promise you until the day that I die, I'm not leaving this kid's side.
3: Yeah, he's... He, yeah, he's, uh, Even if he I, wants I, me out, I'm sorry. He, okay, it's not going to happen. I don't
2: have many friends. I have a handful of friends in this world. And I have learned more about myself these past couple years than i have my entire life and what i can tell you is that me and him have been there for each other since day one since we met and i can guarantee you guarantee you i will be there until the day that i die and i know that he feels the same way about him so you can rest easy at night knowing that he's got a he's got a group of friends who guaranteed will be there for him
1: it fills my heart and it makes me feel good and i know that i really do Looking I at you straight you. in your eye,
0: I know. I promise you. So, on a on a scale of one to ten, how bad do you think it got at times?
1: Oh, uh, ten plus. Ten plus. I mean, it got to the point where no our numbers. <laughs> it got to the point where where you're at bottom, reaching up just to try to to touch the top of the sidewalk. Yeah. You know, I I, I can't I can't say it any you know uh, any clearer than that it's it's trying just to, to reach up and reach bottom
0: in your everyday life how much does it affect you like I mean obviously there are going to be days where you don't feel like doing anything
1: but I do see that's the thing there's a lot of times I don't feel like doing anything but that's because of the illness I have um which takes uh, which damages your heart your blood pressure is always low so you're always lethargic so you don't know if it's the depression or or the disease uh but i never am idle anymore i mean I'll is it take
0: because you can't feel like you can afford to be idle
2: because of how bad it could get um, I think she. I think it has to do with her. She's figuring out a way to coexist right with what she has right
1: And and that's really what the main thing is you you have to learn to put it in perspective You have to learn how long you could stay in a bad place Before you say get the heck up and start doing things.
2: It's okay to not be okay It's right. not okay to stay that way. That's right. And that's exactly what that's right. And do. that's
1: why in my house I have signs, you got this, as I'm walking out the door. A, just little things that I can look at that gives me some type of affirmation that it's all right. It's yeah. okay. You're good, you know.
0: How often, well, how long have you been going to therapy for?
1: Uh, 25 years.
0: Okay, so how how much of an impact has that Has that helped you a
2: lot? Has it helped you a little bit? Because there's people who are like, uh, because therapy helps speaking from experience. And I know there's a lot of people, though, who won't go to therapy. So, like, if you had a, like, what would you say to people to encourage people to go to therapy and seek help?
1: Okay, I think group therapy, if you are part of a domestic violence, sexual or physical, a group setting is wonderful because you know you're not alone you hear other people's story, and when you think yours is bad, the person sitting next to you who looks just as normal, well-dressed, is a pharmacist, is a doctor, they've been through the same thing. So when you look at somebody, uh, don't prejudge somebody because they're dressed in a three-piece suit, they got diamonds on them and stuff, because ultimately when you strip it down, they've been there, done that, and in that group, you realize you really aren't alone in terms of one-to-one therapy two or three of my therapists have said you're one of the most intelligent people that have come here because you know exactly uh how to help yourself you know exactly what to do you know exactly what the problem is she said and i can only help you talk it through but You've already told me. And it's a tech, it's textbook. She goes, and you've read the books. You've done the work. She said, but it's something you need to live with. And that's what I do. I live with it. You know, and I, I do. I, I read some self, self-help self books. But uh, to be honest with you, you need one-on-one
2: or, or or a group. It's the combination of things. It's not one or right. the other. Right, right. With the depression,
0: that often comes with being pi- uh, bipolar.
1: Right, which I am.
0: You are bipolar. I'm bipolar. Okay, so take me through what that is like.
1: I'm called a rabbit cycler. Now, some people who are bipolar, they will slowly go from being depressed and over a period of days, you know, like on a, like if you're going up a, um, a mountain, you get a little bit more manic, meaning you get more active, you have grandiose ideas. You're gonna do this, you're gonna do that until you hit the pinnacle. And then all of a sudden you start sliding down again and as you're at the bottom, now you're beyond depressed. You know, you're, you're beyond the depressed part. And that's a regular bipolar person. I'm a rapid cycler, which I'm very hard to treat medication-wise because I could be at the bottom of the mountain, but I'm at the top of the mountain in six hours. So by the time I take the medicine for the depression, I'm already ready for medication to bring me down from that manic state. Um, and it's difficult. Um, and rapid cyclers don't do well for bipolar medication. I, that's why I don't take it anymore. Um, you have to just go with it. If I don't sleep for three days, I don't sleep. I'll paint my whole apartment. Um, I, I'll I, I'll keep myself busy because I know this too shall pass. And so it's the acceptance of knowing the depression's not gonna stay and the and the mania's not gonna uh, stay. But I'm never quite in the middle where I say I'm okay. So I'm either on
3: the,
1: the uphill peak. I'm e- I'm either on the uphill or the downhill. <laughs> I'm never anywhere like in the middle. Do the top a or the bottom long. of the right.
0: mountain.
1: Right. So it's a it's always a constant battle of you know, um, of waking up like oh, I don't want to do today. And two hours later, I'm, you know, I, I'm scrubbing the bathtub because yeah. I'm already starting in the phase. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it's nothing I'm ashamed of anymore. You know, it's it's uh, you know people look at me and they say oh you're not that I'm hyper, but I'm talkative. I I, I think I get involved in things. Um, but a lot of people just don't know or understand, you know, the the effects it has on you. And uh,
3: I had no idea of any of this. I just, I, just, I,
1: I, I hide things, unless I, t- I talk to you boys. I hide things. Yeah. Very very well. Uh, I am a master of disguises, so I could be talking to you, and then go upstairs, and sit in the shower and cry for two hours, and that's how I've lived my whole life. Because growing up, you can't you would have been eaten alive if you showed any any of that. you know you if you showed any type of um, any type of emotion or uh Vul- Vulnerability. negativity, negativity, uh, yeah, they would have eaten you alive. That's why as a business person and going to school and then having a job, you had to put on your face and and sometimes, that's what you have to do. You gotta put on that face and even though you know it's fake and just a facade of what's going on inside it's a barrier that says okay I'm okay being screwed up inside but outside for people who don't know me don't know my story I'm normal. I'm okay. And you know that's okay. That's it. But then when you come home like I said you take off the mask and then you are who you are and um and the people that you tell these things to uh, are the ones that are that are your besties, that are for life, that can understand.
3: Or just sit there and listen without judgment, right. or Right, just and, and like I said,
1: not even understand, but be accept be accepting of you yeah. for who you are, because none of us are perfect, and everybody's got their own stuff, you know. Mm. Um, and I've lost a lot of friends you know I, I I had a friend I'll give you an example and it really doesn't have to do with depression uh, but it had to do with how people uh, view other people um, I started chemotherapy September 27th uh, back in 2003 I tried to keep my hair until I told my kids I had cancer after Christmas it fell out the day after Thanksgiving
0: I still remember the day Because we were at our friend's house. It came
1: out all in one time. I mean, I had a full head of hair the night before, and then I took a shower the next day. I was going Christmas shopping. They were at their friend's. It all fell out. I called my hairdresser. I need a wig. I have a small head, so it has to really... (laughs) No, I mean, I I have a small face. You do. You know? So, because I really didn't think of the concept of even losing my hair, because I was just so... Not even thinking about it. Well, you were
3: wrapped in um, up, um, everything else. Everything college.
1: else. And yeah. so worried about my kids, I should have pre ordered it. And, but this thing wibbled and wobbled on my head. Mm. I got it, I brought it back to my hairdresser, who was a friend. She cut it in the style, she dyed it. But the thing still moved. I mean, it, it, and you could have duct taped it to me. <laughs> you know, and my kid, he was knocking it off my head saying <laughs> why are you playing your joke on me be, be, because we would do that we would play with wigs and glasses and buck teeth <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is I saw my friend who I thought was a very good friend and he was friends with Nikki for a long time and I was bald and she basically said aren't you going to wear a wig and I said I already discussed it with my kids a wig's not for me Yeah, it's just not my, my thing I said If my kids wanted me to wear a wig I would Mm. You know because I don't want them to be embarrassed They're at that age at 10 and 12 Where they would be embarrassed I said but no I'm okay with it They're okay I'm okay I said and I'm not about phoniness I don't need it And we just stopped being friends Because she could not accept the fact That I can go around bald And be who I was
0: Same Uh. Same thing with her son And her son yeah And he he really didn't want anything to do with me after that point, which I, I'm i like, me and this kid were inseparable growing up, and once she got the cancer, once she lost the hair, him and his mom just left. Huh. She just up and left.
1: And I, I'll tell you, I think I look pretty mighty fine with my bald <laughs> head, man. I did. You rocked I,
3: it. I, I rocked a, it.
1: You gotta rock it. What are you gonna do?
3: <laughs> I have, uh, I know... St- someone close to me that uh, had cancer and their best friend, the only friend said I don't know how to handle that you have cancer. I can't I can't come see you. I don't I can't visit you. I can't be friends with you. Yeah. They just it, I I mean I I it's get it's hard. hard for them but you know I don't know if to call them true
0: friends or it's I think it's more of a part that they don't want to see that person in pain. I think that's what
1: it is. But it's also a selfishness on their part. No, it
0: is. It, it definitely is. I think
1: it's more of a selfishness of not wanting to deal with that person's emotions. Yeah. With not wanting to see them suffer. And, you know, life is about suffering. You know? In the Bible. It's about suffering. And, yeah, people suffer. You might be depressed. You might have this. You might have that. You might be homeless. But everybody's got a little piece of something. Mm. And... If you can't accept that in a person you you really the friendship would never end that w- would always end so y- you have to be accepting, and some people aren't and um i know I knew who my true friends were and uh after my 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 bow, my illness uh eight years ago uh I went through my my iPhone mm-hmm. I deleted everybody who ever doubted me uh who could not deal with it who had too many things to say about it. And they would permanently delete it, never to to be spoken to again, because I knew at that point, if I had five friends, two friends that I could be with, I was the luckiest person in the world, because I knew those five friends would die for me. Mm. And if I called them up at a moment's notice, they'd be there for me. Mm. The other people know. Acquaintances, friends here and there.
0: You kind of you you tend to grow out of that.
2: Everybody does, I feel.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm kind of at the point now where I'm like, okay, I can, I don't need you right now. Right. I don't I don't need you. Period. Right. Like the Et- most the most important people to me are on that board over there, right. right next to you. Yep. Those are all the people that I would go to war for. Right. If you're not on that board, then you d- you, c- you. you yeah, essentially. Yeah. But like I, I have over time. I always wanted to have a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. Like, especially in high school where you you see, like, people like your brother who has a shit ton of friends, always doing things sporadically and stuff like that. And that was something I thought I wanted back then. But over time, like, that is not who I am. I don't want that. I'm good with the select few friends that I have, and I'm good. It's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean,
1: you could have a million friends and... Each set of friends maybe will be for your exercise friends, clubbing friends, uh, whatever friends. And then you have your core friends. Yep. And the core friends are the ones that are for life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That you can go to with anything, and they're accepting or willing to listen.
0: So, to start to wrap it up, have you seen a more of an uptick in your self-esteem lately? Is it... Has it gone from, your self-esteem gone from rock bottom up?
2: Because you've definitely improved Yeah.
0: On. So do you see it as that, or do you see it as it's still a rock bottom? Do you see spurts here and there?
1: You know, I, I dated somebody uh, for about a year who really helped in that. He turned out to be a real jerk, uh, <laughs> but he taught me that love comes from within you. And if you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody else. And I, and I, I it was the first time I really kind of understood it or really took it to heart. And I started to, oh, dress better and uh, lose weight and care about myself, put makeup on and do my hair. And even though those are just the outside things... But
2: you're doing it for yourself.
1: Right. I. Eventually, it was for me, because when he eventually left the picture, Fuck, I, still look I continued me. to do it, because if it's one thing that I want to do, is I want to feel good for me, yeah. and that's what it comes down to. If I could feel good for me, then I'm going to project a better a better picture for everybody else, And but it's all for me now. I, I don't give a shit what people say. I don't care. I, I don't care, you know, from... 20 years ago, how people used to talk. It's about weight. It's about yeah, all these kind of things. Now I'm 55. I'm kind of calm in myself. i I've accepted all my flaws. Uh, I've never become the scientist I wanted to be. You know, I haven't accomplished all my goals, but there were goals. But I've I've gotten to a point where I've accepted that, and uh, you know, to maybe end this broadcast. You know, there's a lot of, there's a few queen bees, but there are a lot of worker bees. And at one point, I wanted to be a queen bee. Uh, I thought I was smart enough I could be. Turns out I'm a worker bee. But I'm a worker bee in the sense that, in the picture of life, I'm glad that I could have made a tiny, tiny dent in something that is much larger than myself. And that tiny dent was bringing two men into this world who who if if that was my only purpose in life and not to be philosophical or religious if that was my only job and we all know everybody's slated for greatness but become nothing you know if that was my 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 only thing in my life that I had to accomplish I've accomplished it mission
0: accomplished because God yeah, I, damn, I am
1: beautiful. I am here beautiful. Beautiful. Here I've I beautiful.
0: I've
3: accomplished
1: it. And <laughs> Next up, ego. <laughs> and it makes me feel like I'm good. I'm good. I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish. And that's what really makes me happy.
2: What silver lining and hope do you have? to
1: That I can remain honest, open, have integrity and character for the rest of my life. Because I think I've lived my life like that up until this point. Um and never it was never jaded in any way, and if I can keep those four characteristics in line um, and live the rest of my life and have nobody ever come in my life to ever do what's been done, I'm okay all
0: right, so the last question is if anybody is listening that is dealing with the same thing that you are right now, what advice would you give them something that they can kind of live with or help them out through their tough times is what would you tell them to do?
1: I tell them to breathe. Even if it's one second at a time, breathe. Then it becomes one minute at a time. And then it's, you know, ten minutes at a time. And keep it up and keep breathing because the next the next increment of time is going to get better, and it's going to get better, and it's going to get better, and my personal fear uh, feelings about suicide—it's um, a way out. It it hurts people's family. It destroys a family, um, along with the connotations that go with it, because they say the person who commits suicide is weak. Actually, I think it's the opposite. Only my opinion. I think you have to be pretty damn brave. And, and a lot of times people are in the right mind to kill themselves because they feel there's no way out. But I think you need to just breathe and to reach out. Whether it's a family member, a stranger, a priest, whoever you would go to, it could be a stranger. Reach out because there is better days to come. Always. And I never thought that for a long time. But every time, I did take it minute by minute sometimes. Uh,
2: something wonderful came out of it. Something,
1: yes, better and better and better came out of it. Even in the worst of times, it got better. Suicide's just a way out, you're, you're not here anymore. Yeah. So er, er, everything, all that pain is now put on other people. Exactly. And. For them to understand that pain they're never gonna get the answers that they get yeah and but to be here to work it out and uh, to do something like this and if it helps one person it's
0: all that matters
1: yeah just just don't isolate yeah talk to somebody uh, read a book just do something just do something keep your mind busy and it'll work out <sighs> And if a doctor does not listen to you, I want to make this very clear. A doctor doesn't listen to you on how you really feel. There are a million doctors. If you have to go through 10 or 20 doctors to find the person that you need, find them. Same thing with therapists. Some therapists are lousy. Believe me, I've been to a few. And then there are some that are so phenomenal. So it's trial and error. Keep trying until you get the answers that you need yeah. in terms of your mental health and also your mental health therapy as well.
0: All right. Well, thank you for coming on. I do appreciate you, and thank I get—I know these guys do too.
1: And I love you guys. <laughs> these guys are the best. Of course, um, I love
2: you. Too Did you I that well? one more time for the
0: people. <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> All right. So you heard it here. Um, if you are. Attempting to commit suicide or you're thinking about it call somebody Oh um, well,
1: first of all you, you call a suicide hotline
0: I'm about to give them the number yes
1: Yes call a suicide hotline um, talk to them it, it they ne- they never have to see your face yeah it's it, it, it's you're ambiguous to them but they know your problems yeah. because people who work at suicide hotline have been there. You know, yeah, they've been there. They've done that. They're counselor. They're they counseled. They're trained, and even if it's just just getting the words, I want to kill myself. Yeah, and maybe that's all you need to say is, I just want to kill myself. Um, and then the feeling passes, then that's what you need.
0: Yeah. So the um, the suicide hotline is 800-273-8255 So if you're feeling like you need to talk to somebody, please call them. Um. It's not worth taking your your own life. There are people out there that love you and that they care for you and that they will talk to you. So again, thank you for coming on. Thank you Thank you for telling your story. I'm hoping that it reaches at least just one person.
1: Just reach out that's uh, all you have to do is reach out and the help is there. That's all you do. That's all that's all I could just tell you. Just please reach out. Don't wait. Uh, don't don't sit in silence. Um, Don't isolate. It just makes it worse. Reach out the minute you start feeling bad. And help help will be there for
0: you. Thank you guys for listening. We do appreciate you guys very much. And don't forget to follow us on all of our social medias at Brotherhood of Podcasting.
1: Thank you guys. Bye.